I mean, I never thought I was very, any good at pitching, to be honest. Working alongside Norman for 30 years, and he was absolutely fantastic. And I suppose it, it sort of rubbed off, really. I never thought that was my strength. My strength was really design. Welcome to the third episode of The Business of Architecture and Design, where we rejoin our host, Angela Ferguson, Managing Director of Future Space, as she concludes her conversation with our first guest, Make Architects, Ken Shuttleworth, who shares some advice for new practices starting out and future opportunities for the industry. And now, over to Angela. So what about in the future? Do you see yourself offering services like interiors or landscape or additional things beyond architecture? Well, we do a lot of interiors already. Yeah. I mean, we're actually, um, we probably have as many interior projects as we do architecture projects. And we are see they separate to the architecture or is it a part of the no, architecture? No, we, we, we do it as part of the architecture. So we, we just call it extension of the architecture. Yeah. And we don't have a separate group. Uh, they're all integrated into the, into the architectural team. So if we're pitching for an architectural interior job, um, there'll be interior people and architects working that together. You know, and we do interviews other people's buildings. We do we do picture other people's buildings as well, and we're quite successful at that. So we're doing, um, you know, surprisingly number of surprising number of hotels, which is quite amazing. Um, we're doing office fit outs. We're doing residential fit outs. Um, so yeah, the interior side is you know we've we just see as part of the architectural job, and it's like a sort of you know a continuous process from inside to outside. We don't see the sort of barriers between inside and outside. So a lot of the interiors we do are an extension of the outside in or the other way around. Um, and you know, and quite strong interiors. We've tried landscaping, um, and we're not doing landscaping at the moment. Uh, it's more difficult to find people who actually, um, you know, have got the right level of skill and interest in architecture to do landscaping. Um, and they always come up with like they want five hundred different varieties of plants, you know, in a small flower bed. And what we want is one. Yeah. Or two. Yeah. Um, and it's always quite a sort of challenge, I think, with landscaping. So we've actually managed to get some. You know, good landscaping landscaping uh, colleagues around the world who we work with on different projects and different different times. Um, I think it's one of those things. It's probably better left in the landscaping profession, um, as it is with engineers. It's best to have engineers. You know, basically the best because the best engineers want to work for engineers, not for architects. So we, we'd never integrate engineers into the office. Um, I think landscape is in that category as well. I think it's just you know the best landscape architects want to work for other landscape architects. So we probably will never do that. Um, but we do graphics, you know, we do graphics for our projects. Um, we've got awards for our graphics in the sort of publishing world. And our annual wins a Blue Dot Award. It has done three years running. Um, you know, so we, we're very proud of the sort of visual side of what we do. And because we're now, you know, making, virtually making films of what we do. So we're making films of our projects and presenting our projects to the same VR. And uh, um, so we're sort of in the AV business as well, really. <laughs> So who sets the strategy then for those new things like when you bring on graphics into an architecture business or when you bring on filmmaking into an architecture business? Um, it just happens. I don't think there's any strategy. Do like... you wake up in the morning and say, oh, I've got this great idea and then... <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm thinking all the time, yeah, about things, what we should be doing, what we shouldn't be doing. And I think it's, you know, architects think they're really good at graphics, but they're not. They're really not. Um, graphic designers are good at graphics. So, you, you know, so my skill is always to um, get the right people involved um, and not think we can do everything ourselves, you know, because you, you know, you would, you know, you think you can, as a, you know, as an architect, you think you can get, you can lay a page out nice in a, in a magazine, but you see that compared to what a graphic guy would do, it's no comparison. 
So for us, having the top graphics people in the office, uh, you know, in the country, in our office is really important as well. And there's three of them and they're great. And then what about those other partners that you do work with, like engineers and, yeah. and builders? So what's the secret to working well with them and finding, I guess, good people or, or good partners who are on board with what your vision is? It's, again, it's about um, work. So engineers, we work with many different types of en- many different engineers. Um, and again, it's about relationships with them and their understanding what we can do and what they, what they, what they can bring to the table. So, you know, some projects um, don't need a big engineering input, some need, you know, very large engineering input. So it depends on the size of the project, it depends on who we'd go to. But, you know, we work with engineers over many years again we've you know got relationships with about five or six who are fantastic uh, and the same on the m and side as well on the environmental side and so having traveled quite extensively uh in your career and then also with with make uh you would have seen i guess differences between australian design what design is like in europe what design's like in asia and um, what is it you think that's unique about australian design if anything i think australian design has this um tradition of you know, the Harry, Harry Seidler buildings, the sort of concrete buildings in Sydney, which are, I think are fantastic. I mean, I think they are amazing. And I think, you know, what, what's unique in terms of the way we all think at the moment is about climate change. You know, we haven't talked about that, but climate change for us is the, the really big thing, the thing we, we wake up and think about all the time. And in our building, Five Broadgate has got um, only 35% glass, it's 65% solid, highly insulated, you know, and all the glazing's double glazed, and, you know, it's really looking to sort of save energy. And we find buildings here, um, you know, a lot of them are single glazed, you know, in Hong Kong it's the same. Um, there's no insulation in some of the buildings here. It's a madness, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and yet it gets to 50 degrees centigrade, you know, so why haven't you got any insulation? Um, so, you know, we, we, I think we bring that side of things to here. And you can see that one, the, after, you know, post side of the building, some of them are all glass facing due north, which seems, um, you know, challenging. Although the views, I get it, because the views due north, so I can get that. But the, the challenge is to sort of reduce the heat gain and save energy and not burn the, you know, oil and not burn the planet up. Um, so I think there's that, and I think you know, Seidler and those guys got it got it more right with the high density, uh, the, the sort of more shady buildings. Um, obviously now less popular because people want all glass, but I think that's 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 going to going to go another circle. Um, I think the other thing we bring to it is the way the ground plane works. You know, we've you know we spent most of our lives i suppose working on the way a building hits the ground and the way people go in and out of it so our, and that's translated to winner's place which we won you know on the basis we took all that we lifted the lift core up in the air we got that view right the way through that sort of roots right the way through from county street to george street like an urban room on the outside of the building and and that's quite unusual i think in in terms of um sydney so so i think that that side of it is important and um you know bringing those sort of skills to sydney but i you know i love I love walking around. I think it's, I have, you know, walking around Sydney is fantastic. Some of the buildings are great. Um, you know, your use of concrete is phenomenal, you know, compared to the UK. And I just think it's, you know, the, 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 the great thing is that sort of collaboration that we can bring in working with the local architects here. Um, you know, we bring us something that's different. There's no doubt about that. And then what about uh, climate change? So you mentioned climate yeah. change. Is that something that keeps you awake at night? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I think it's, it's, it's a driving thing. It's almost like if I did a presentation, it'd be slide three would be on climate change. Um, you know, it's a huge issue um, in terms of, you know, potable water, 
um, sewage, um, you know, fires. You know, that we've had the hottest February in Wales in ever recorded, you know, 20-odd degrees centigrade in Wales, which is unheard of in February. You know, there's been tornadoes um, in, in the last week. There's been, you know, huge climate issues. And I think there's, um, as architects, I think we have a responsibility. You know, we are... The building buildings, say, 60% of energy goes into buildings, or comes out of buildings. Um, so if, you know, we're designing single-glazed, uninsulated buildings, you know, it's, it's pretty irresponsible, to be absolutely honest. And we should be designing buildings that actually, you know, try and touch the planet as lightly as possible environmentally and actually make sure that we create a building that, you know, isn't going to be a gas-guzzling monster for the rest of its life. It needs to be, you know, ideally zero carbon, you know, which we're still striving to get towards. Um, and ideally, you know, not using much energy. And I think that's... Um, for us, you know, a sort of really fundamental part of what we do and uh, on every single job, you know, we challenge that to make it even more so. And I think the latest um, thinking we've been talking about is plastics and the way the plastics seem to end up in the ocean. Um, and I think we are looking at, you know, in, uh, initiatives to sort of try and do something about that. Are you finding that uh, developers are on board too with some of those initiatives that you're proposing around climate change? Yeah, I mean, what's really fascinating is um, they weren't. And then, and also that some of the companies, the the big companies weren't because, you know, energy on a on a board table is only one percent of the cost of the company. So you know, it's hardly it doesn't make any difference to, to a lot of big companies. What's changed, I think, is the youngsters have come out and they, you know, they almost if they're going for a job, they're really bright university students. They're going for a job at Price Waterhouse or, um, you know, one of the big Deloitte's something like that, and they're interviewing them them about their credentials in terms of their um, their green credentials. And if they don't like it, it's going to go and work for them. So the companies have actually had to up their game to actually attract people, uh, attract young talent, to actually make sure their buildings are seen or their companies are seen to be green, um, as green as possible, as energy efficient as possible, as you know, as, as conscious as possible in terms of um, social conscience and you know looking after Africa and that sort of stuff. So the developers have had to, you know, to do that because the tenants are then coming to developers and saying, you know, we need to have a building that's got, you know, it's low energy that attracts people. So it's, it's, it's come from the bottom up, you know, and it's been in Europe this last month. There's been school kids marching about climate change. They did know. that here too. They took the day off to protest. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic, isn't it? Yeah. And then we had a vote in Parliament about it. There's only about eight people there. So the, the contrast between the kids, um, the youngsters of today, and the sort of, you know, the politicians that are looking after the country is just you know, so mild bendingly apart from each other but you know for us as architects i think we have a huge responsibility and you know and we uh, as i say it does keep us awake at night absolutely and when somebody asks us to do a single glazed building you know, it's really difficult which they do in india and hong kong and here you know it's like what you must be joking so um, do you think there should be regulation around that then i'm just surprised there isn't yeah i mean don't you have any regulations in terms of uh, well, I, mean, I, think I think we do, and they're very, getting stronger, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're pretty strong in the UK and getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And I think that's, um, it really comes out of Germany. You know, the Germans, the Germans don't understand what you're talking about because they've been doing it forever. You know, they, they wouldn't consider doing an all-glass single It's just building. good common sense. It just too. makes sense. Yeah. That, you, know, you can go and give a lecture in, in, in Germany about, um, you know, low energy buildings and, you know, not using all glass. And, you know, they just don't know what you, why it's, you know, it's not even a topic. <laughs> um, so I think, I think that, and I, you know, back in Foster's days, certainly that was always on the agenda as well. That was, you know, making buildings low energy, making them energy efficient. And that goes right back to the 1970s. So Ken, what would be your advice for someone starting out today who wanted to, you know, maybe they've had a 10 years in a career and they want to start their own business? What would you say? 
I mean, I think the fundamental thing is you've got to decide why you're doing it. Um, are you doing it to make some money? Are you doing it to make a name for yourself? Are you doing it to produce some great, fantastic buildings? And I think for me, it was about, you know, producing some fantastic buildings and not really being uh, influenced by um, people telling me what to do. You know, I, you could just choose. You had the choice to um, do it your own way. I think if you're doing it to make money, to build up business up and then sell it, I think that's a different model. And I think you, you know, you go after different clients, you go after you do it in a different way. So I think fundamentally deciding why you're doing it and what you expect to get out of it and, and um, you know, whether it's the right thing to do for you, whether you're better off being part of a bigger practice. Um, but, you know, because there's all that stuff as an architect that, um, you know, you've got no idea about, like HR, finance, all that sort of stuff, that, you know, it has to be done. And you can't do it yourself. You can't expect to do it yourself. Otherwise, you won't get any clients because you're spending all your time, you know, filling in the VAT form rather than actually going out and getting some clients. Um, so I think it's a matter of deciding why you want to do it. And then what about, so is there anything that you you know, any big challenges that you faced or any kind of big mistakes that you're willing to share that maybe taught you something that you didn't know before? I mean, I think the challenge is always, you know, getting, getting the clients. I think that's the most important thing, looking after them. Um, you know, without clients, there's no make. Without clients, there's no project. So I think that's, that's um, you know, getting the work and being in competition against other architects as well to get these clients, you know, because there's loads of us who can, you know, design fantastic buildings uh, but it's a matter of you know g- 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 having the reason why they come to you rather than somebody else so i think that sort of challenge really is to sort of you know to, to work on i suppose to work on the pitch to work on the you know the the brochures to work on the you know the, what you're actually offering getting the words right for that um and to work out you know why they should come to you rather than somebody else so i think the challenge is always going to be that and and you you know People who do set up, they do, you know, every now and again they do come and ask me about it and how we did it and why we did it and that sort of thing. And I think it's, you know, often their pitch is so terrible. You know, they, they've really got it around their neck and are not, you know, not playing into what the client wants to hear. Um, so I think it's a matter of, you know, almost being flexible enough. You've got to be, you've got to be flexible to actually to either respond to a particular use of a, of a project or a, you know, a destination of a project. So you might end up in, say, in Australia or in Hong Kong or in America, and you've got to, you've got to be different in those places. You've got to adapt the way you present yourself, the what you actually show, the way you talk about what you show. Um, so that sort of flexibility, you know, is important. And at our scale, you know, we can be quite nimble at that, I think, and that's important. You know, when you get much bigger, um, you know, it's very difficult to be that nimble. On you know, and sort of respond quite quickly to things. And are you uh, involved sort of equally across the business, say, from pitching and winning work right through to the delivery of that work? Or is there something that you're stronger at or are you more of an all-rounder? I mean, I never thought I was very, any good at pitching, to be honest. Um, you know, working alongside Norman for 30 years, and he's absolutely fantastic. And I suppose it, it sort of rubbed off, really. But... Um, I never thought that's that was my strength. My strength was really design, coming up with ideas, you know, and I have lots and lots of ideas all the time, um, and then presenting, you know, getting those ideas out on paper. But I think, you know, I've, you know, you've had to learn how to pitch, you know, you've had to learn how to um, to do that. So that side of it is something I've, I suppose, I've learned. Um, it doesn't necessarily come naturally to me. Um, I'm much better at the you know, designing a building, building it, and getting it, seeing it through, make sure it doesn't leak. Uh, I, that's a bit, you know, it's important to us. Uh, I mean, you know, and I think 
as architects, we just want to build stuff. You know, it's not we don't want just to design stuff and then it never happens. We actually want to see it built. Uh, accountants will tell you to stop. The accountants will say to you, you know, design the building and walk away because you're going to make all your money with no risk. Um, but we don't want to do that. We want to go all the way through. And our ideal project is where we go from beginning to end, all the way through, where we do all the drawings all the way through. And there's various different models of that, but that's that's what we prefer. If you are serious about leading your architecture or design business, you can't afford to miss Peter Verwer at the Business of Architecture and Design Conference in Sydney on November the 11th. Peter will outline vital information on growth opportunities, give you insights into working with international clients and predict where your business opportunities lie over the next three to five years. He's one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. He thinks at a speed is just superhuman. That was Adam Haddo, Principal Director, SJB Sydney. If you run a business in the built environment industry, this keynote is essential. Register now at australiandesignreview.com. Where are the, the best young architects coming from? Is there a particular country that's churn, oh, that's producing them or is there a particular school that's producing them? I, I mean, you know, we get it from all over the world. Um, so it's typical to pin down one particular university. But I mean, I think the Bartlett in London, you know, does produce quite some stunning people who very, very, um, very good at thinking, very good at graphics and very good at sort of computers and things. I haven't got a clue how to build stuff, um, but I don't necessarily that really matters. Um, and we don't have many from the Bartlett. We have a few, but and we tend to sort of, we tend to go right across the world looking at you know individuals rather than universities. I probably would never ask anybody which university they went to at an interview. You know, it may just come out, but you wouldn't actually say you know which university you can go to because that wouldn't really be important. What would be important to me is you know. So I went to Leicester Polytechnic. I didn't go to Cambridge or anything like that. It's all about them and what they can actually contribute to the practice rather than where they actually went to university. Um, so at the moment, I think I'd still think you'd probably say that Bartlett was probably the top one, um, especially in the UK. And then what about if, say, looking forward uh, in the next 12, 24 months from, a, I guess, your global position, what do you, what does the future look like for you? I, I, I mean, it's really interesting sitting in London. Um, you know, we've had a, uh, since that, the vote, to get out of the European Union and to set up, you know, to be on our own, which is we think was a disaster, by the way. The um, Brexit vote. Yeah, the Brexit vote. We all pretty much voted to stay in because mm. um, it wasn't really about anything other than trade. And what we've done is shoot ourselves in the foot in terms of being able to trade across the across the channel. You know, and I think a lot of people who voted for that have got some sort of idealised view of the UK pre industrial revolution you know it's ridiculous um as i say we've got 20 nationalities in the office you know as far as we're concerned we don't see ourselves as being you know british you know we see ourselves as being part of the world so for us it was a absolutely you know people in tears that morning um you know people basically thought we wanted to kick them all out of the country um you know so it was quite a difficult moment in the office to say no and hang on a minute this is not you know, people don't know what they voted for here they voted just to to break the trade agreements which is completely mad um so then it's, then it's been an absolute fiasco. I mean, you couldn't really make it up in terms of the politicians in London, what's actually been going on uh, for the last two years. And we've got, what is it, 20-odd days to go now. So, um, you know, we still don't know near as know what's going to actually happen. 
So we've had to set an, an Irish off, office up as well. Um, so we can then trade through Dublin if we need to, outside of the um, UK, into Europe. If we can't, we don't know whether we can trade out of London. We have no idea. Nobody seems to be able to tell it's us. It's madness. So we have this, we've got a brand in Ireland called Make. Um, it's part of, you know, it's a subsidiary of Make. Um, it's set up there. It's, there's nobody in it. <laughs> it's just ready, it's ready to go if we have to. Um, so we can actually work through Dublin uh, for the rest of that. Um, and I think it's, it's, I mean, I don't know whether we're going to need it or not. You know, it's just it's one of those stupid things. Um, so there's so, a lot of uncertainty there, really, still. Yeah, so and I think why, the way it's affecting us, obviously we're looking further afield. We're not, that's why I'm sitting here rather than in London all the time and, you know, in, in the Far East. So we're, um, for us, it's, you know, it's about being global and forgetting the fact we're actually in London some of the times and we're actually looking at the global economy. Um, in terms of London itself, you know, some people see London as, and Birmingham, Manchester as being long-term investments beyond next, the end of next month. Um, they see it as a sort of they take a hundred year view or you know some of the families that come from Asia look at London you know for, for generational views um, to keep it going um, so they're, they're investing um, and we have a project called 20 Rope Maker which is just about to start on site which is you know going ahead despite Brexit um, which is a big tower uh, with uh, Hong Kong family money I think the developers who need to get in and out in two or three years with you know do something make it make the money and get out they're having problems because there's no certainty about whether they'll be able to do that so those sort of projects mainly spec projects um with uh, institutional money are all pretty much on hold all of them are right. pretty much on hold so you know it's, it's very difficult to know what's actually going to happen um some people predicting after brexit it's all going to be wonderful again and the pound will go back up again and it's all going to be amazing but you know one thing i've learned in this business is um Something I say is never take yes for an answer. So you never, if somebody says to you, you know, yes, the steel works in the country, they mean it's on the boat, you know, coming from China. Uh, you never take yes for an answer. And I think the same with Brexit, you know, whatever people say, you just can't believe it's going to really happen like that. It's never going to happen like that. So I think we're all very sceptical, um, which is why we're looking outside the UK. Um, so what about Asia? What do you see happening in Asia? I, I think I think Asia's. You know, we were there uh, in Hong Kong last week, and I think it's you know very still very buoyant. And the China, you know, maybe mainland China is not so buoyant, but in certainly Singapore, we found you know opportunities in Hong Kong um, and around you know uh, around uh, Macau, places like that. And we're working in uh, in Beijing again as well. Um, so I think this, you know, I think Asia for us is still you know a, a place to be quite enjoy. And, and certainly down here, we found, although the, obviously the residential market seems to have sort of slowed down considerably, we've still found there's been lots of inquiries and stuff to do. So we're, you know, very encouraged by Australia as well. Great. And then what is it that keeps you up at night? Um, you know, I think running a business like make um you know 140 people 106 babies whatever it is you know we're it's you know you you all the time thinking you know you are actually running people's lives you're not just you know that's quite quite onerous really um you know because their education of their kids their, their houses you know all on the line based on what we do at make um so that the that sort of mitigates by the fact that it's employee owned and the fact we're all in it together and people get it and you know and all turning to me all the time to ask me you know to go and get another job they just go out and get their own jobs get another job themselves so i think uh, i keep i keep I, I, i'm awake because of that um 
I'm definitely awake because of climate change, and I'm definitely awake because of you know trying. How do we make a building more efficient? Um, you know, can we can we solve some of these problems that are going on around the world? But I don't really worry about too much. I don't really worry about money. <laughs> I don't need to worry about money. We you know we just we're just okay, and we don't. You know, we haven't got any. We're not haven't got any yachts or aircraft or anything like that. We just don't worry about that. We just you know got a house and it's great. Keep it simple. <laughs> the, I think the challenge as, as an architect is that, um, you know, if you're leading a practice, you know, how do you lead? And I, you know, I've always, you know, because some people lead, they all lead in different ways. And I think for my way of leading is, you know, to basically lead from the front and not sort of push people um, from the back. Um, and it's never to ask anyone to do anything you're not prepared to do yourself. So I think it's, for me, it's that, you know, you, you would never, you know, give somebody a sort of terrible job to do if you're not prepared to do it yourself. And I think that, that sort of helps, um, you know, leading from the front and um, and doing that, and I think that that sort of then imbues in people that sort of feeling of respect they have um, for me or you know for people who who to work like that. Um, you know, so we never get emotional. We never well, we do get emotional. We don't get sort of uh, ratty with people. We never have sort of bust ups. We never um, you know we never shout at people. Um, there's never a moment where you know, there's anybody anybody yelling at anybody ever. Have you seen that happen? In other practices, in other yeah. practices, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've yeah. heard about it as well. Yeah. Um, you know, so we're not. Um, you know, we, I try not to have the sort of ego in terms of that. So you know, for me, it's uh, having no ego is quite important. Actually, making sure that people, you know, feel it's their practice and make sure they are contribute. They feel contrib- they are contributing, and we are looking after them. Um, and in and in terms of succession. You know, because it's employee owned, then and if I go under a bus, then it just carries on without me. Um, and there's an there's an envelope in the safe in London, and in on an envelope, it's open in event of my death, and it's got somebody's name on that envelope. Who is be, it? Just a name. That's it. Yeah. Yep. And that's the and that's because I see myself more like a conductor of an orchestra. So you're like this, the guy with the stick at the front, and you've got all these incredible musicians around you, and you are just literally conducting, and somebody has to do it. You know. So and I think can't really be more than one person has to do that. Um, at the moment, which is what I do. So, you know, it's not like a one-man band where I'm playing all the instruments. It's basically conducting an orchestra. And I think that's a sort of fundamental process in the way we work at Make. So there has to be somebody else pick up the baton and carry on. Mm. Um, and has your leadership style changed over the years, do you think, as you've become more experienced? Um, I think it, I think it's probably mellowed, yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's, I mean, you know, but it has by having really good people, you know. That, I mean, that's why all the recruitment I do and, you know, we, and pe- some people have been there since the beginning. Some people have worked, you know, from Foster's days as well. So there's that, that you know, it's a great trust um, and understanding and actually, you know, really talented people. So, um, you know, the more talented people you have, the less you really need to sort of tell them what to do. Um, so I think it's it's more like nudging you know, if you're almost like a pinball machine where you sort of, you nudge things um, to get the ball in the hole. Yeah, there's what I call the flippers. Um, and I think that's more my job as well. It's not really telling people what to do. It's not, you know, nobody sits around waiting to be told what to do at Make, you know, because if they do, they're in the wrong practice because they just can get on with it. They have the, they have the um, authority to get on with it. They have the executive authority to make decisions, um, you know, quite through the office. Um you know, so I think it's that's that's very different, and I think the succession will be that people just carry on. I don't see it as ever stopping. There's no reason to stop it. Um, you know, the, the 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 shares are all there. Nobody can get to them. Um, nobody can go and sell it. 
you know, because it's nothing to sell. Um, you know, you can't get the next generation selling it sitting on a beach. You know, you just can't get, nobody can go and buy a Ferrari with the money. You know, there's no, there's, in a way, there's no, there's no way of actually unstitching it. It's, it's completely, um, employee-owned is the only way it will ever be, ever be uh, seen as make. You can't do anything else. You're not, you know, it can't be pulled apart. It can't be, you know, stripped and sold off in, as assets. It just can't be done. So really, it's a sort of hundred-year and beyond vision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no reason not to, not for it to carry on. So the next generation, the generation after that, can just carry on. There's no. Um, I think they still need to appoint, you know, one person just to, to be that conductor. Otherwise, you, you know, it could all be going. Well, it needs uh, leadership, doesn't it? Well, I think architecturally, you could, it could. You know, we can't have one group doing postmodern, you know, rubbish. You've got to have it. You know, you've got to have people doing the same stuff um and i think that that side of it you know exploring new materials exploring new architecture is great but i think you can't have a um you can't have somebody who wants to do something that's completely at odds with what everybody else wants to do um so i think that has to be has to be somebody conducting the general direction um but it's not really in a dictatorial way it's more in a sort of uh it's more sort of socialist than that it's more you know sort of part of the process of discussion and dialogue so I just to finish off, I just want to give you five in five. So I'll give you one word. And if you can give me your first response as to what that word means to you. Success. Engagement. Challenge. Um, climate change. Design. People. Opportunity. Um, exploration. And downtime. Um. We probably need to look that up. Downtime. What? We need to define it for you. <laughs> don't really have much downtime. I mean, as an architect, you just don't really have downtime. You're always thinking. Uh, I suppose downtime is, you know, is being with my son, wife and son going around zoos. You know, um, what's it? Holiday, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not really a holiday because you're always on. Nowadays, you're always on the on the machine. Well, it's not a job being an architect, is it? It's actually, it's. I mean, to me, it seems like a calling. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's not a job at all. You know, we just we don't actually disassociate uh, home and work at all. It's all it's all work basically. It always has been. Yeah, I love it. To ensure your practice is ready to deal with the challenges that the industry will face in the next few years, register now at australiandesignreview.com for the inaugural Business of Architecture and Design Conference, which will be held in Sydney on Monday the 11th of November 2019. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Business of Architecture and Design, the final part of Ken Shuttleworth's journey through the Business of Architecture. Join us next time when we begin a whole new conversation with an industry expert and practitioner. The Business of Architecture and Design podcast is produced by Joanne Davies, publisher of Australian Design Review and Architectural Review, Madeline Swain, editor of Architectural Review and Niche Media. With thanks to our launch partner, Zenith Interiors, which designs, manufactures and distributes leading-edge furniture for corporate and commercial environments. Zenith Interiors inspires organisations to excel. Thanks also to our supporting partner, Total Synergy. Synergy is cloud-based business and project management software for architects. It centralizes your business and project information, giving you more time for design. Try Synergy free for 30 days at totalsynergy.com forward slash ADR. For more information and links, visit the episode webpage. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and rate us.